For the record, I am glad to be here. I always enjoy getting to see everybody. Of course, we don't get to come as often as we would like due to various other commitments, but we do always enjoy being here, getting to see all of you. Uh, we got here yesterday afternoon. We've got to spend some time with Gigi and Poppy. Of course, that's always good. Uh, I enjoyed that. Uh, what I'm most excited about, however, is lunch after all of this. Uh, that's, that's always the highlight for me of coming here is mom's lunch on Sunday afternoon. Uh, so that's, that's the big takeaway from all this is we're going to eat very, very well here in just a little while. I uh, do want you to know, contrary to what you may have understood, apparently uh, the age of miracles has not ceased. That There was a medical miracle this week. Of course, with Dad's surgery and all that all went well, and we're certainly pleased with that. But he did ask the doctors if he would be able to preach. They said, yes, you can preach next Sunday. And so the only thing I can figure out is that if he's finally going to do that after 23 years here, there must have been some magic, some miracle that has happened. And so I, I look forward to actually hearing Dad preach next Sunday. And I will definitely pull that up on Facebook or on YouTube next Sunday and, and take a look at that to see what that sounds like after all this time. I want you to envision with me, to imagine that you are being held in a Roman prison. It's the year 30 in the city of Jerusalem. You have been tried. You have been convicted. And you have now been condemned to death. Because you very infamously, very notoriously, were involved in an insurrection against the Roman Empire. In this rebellion against the Roman authorities, you murdered a Roman officer. You plundered, and so also were a robber. And this is considered by the Roman authorities to be high treason. And for the Roman authorities, there is one penalty and one penalty alone for those found guilty of treason against the empire. And that penalty, very simply, is crucifixion. And so the Roman authorities are preparing three wooden crosses on a hill just outside of the city of Jerusalem. There's a cross reserved specifically for you. And a cross for two of your compatriots who were also captured with you. And this is the way of the Roman government. They always crucified for insurrection because they wanted to send a message to the rest of their subjects. They wanted to publicly demonstrate to all what the price would be for you to try and rise up against the empire. You knew what the penalty was before you even acted. You also knew that you were guilty of the crimes that you stood charged with. Your name ultimately is going to be recorded in the annals of all four of the Gospels. Your name is Barabbas. Tradition tells us that your full name, ironically, is Jesus Barabbas. 
We would say that today in the English language, Joshua, the son of Abbas, or Joshua, the son of father. Incarcerated, you have nothing to do but simply wait for the moment of your execution. Already those three wooden crosses are being prepared. And because you were the notorious one out of this bunch, because you were the ringleader of this insurrection, you're going to have center stage. You were the one that will hang on the cross, that will hang on the middle cross. They will scourge you. They will beat you within an inch of your life. They will take your hands and they will nail them to that cross. And they will then take your feet and they will nail them as well. And then they will hang you there for people to come by and see. Hang you there as a spectacle for all to watch and understand what happens when you rise up against Rome. And they will leave you there to die. Maybe for a few hours. Perhaps for as long as a few days. However long it takes. They are willing to wait. And as you stand there in your prison cell. As you pass the time away day after day. You know your time is very near. You know that you were just days away from meeting with that execution. And then you're informed that there is a tradition at the Passover, the, the time that it is now, that Pilate releases to the crowd a prisoner of the people's own choosing. And then in the wonder of all wonders, it comes to you that the crowd is crying out for you, for you, Barabbas. To be released to them. And of course relief floods into your soul. Because if you're released. No longer do you, do you have to await that scourging. No longer do you have to anticipate the pain and the agony of being crucified. You already in your soul imagined. You've envisioned. You've prepared yourself for what that's going to be like. You've mentally imagined the anguish you're going to endure. You've mentally steeled yourself for what it's going to be like when they take that leather whip with the pieces of glass and bone and metal on the ends and they whip you over and over and over again, literally ripping the flesh off of your body. And you know they're not going to stop at 39 lashes. You know they're only going to stop when they get tired. And then they're just going to hand that whip to another soldier who will beat you until he is tired and he will hand it to yet still another Roman soldier. You know that they are going to beat you so mercilessly that people, perhaps even... Your own mother, your own family will not be able to recognize you. 
And you know that after they've done all of that, they're going to parade you through the streets. They're going to make you carry that cross. They're going to march you through the streets and they're going to tell everyone of the charges against you. They're going to do all that they can to publicly shame and humiliate you. They're going to do everything they can to make sure that anyone who sees you knows to never rise up against Rome. Finally, having done all of that, they're going to take you to that hill on the outskirts of the city. They're going to hang you. They're going to nail you on that cross and leave you in the most agonizing position possible. You know you're going to experience tremendous thirst. You know that at some point the chills of fever will come. You know that eventually there will be an inability on your part to breathe. You know there's going to be pain like none you have ever experienced. You know that there will be so much exhaustion. The pressure of the moment. The helplessness that's going to affect you as you are hanging there, suspended between heaven and earth. You've imagined that in your spirit. You've imagined that in your soul ever since that sentence was pronounced. And the word now comes to you. It's now official. The crowd has asked for your release. And you are going free. You, Barabbas, are released from that prison. And you learn... That in the midst of all of this commotion, another has been condemned instead of you. They're not going to waste that cross they've prepared. No, the Romans don't want to do that. They're going to take that cross and they're going to give that cross to someone else. And interestingly enough, that man's name also is Jesus. You've heard some have called him the Christ. You've heard rumors that some claim He is a prophet. You've heard rumors even that some are claiming that He is the Messiah, the Son of God. And you also know, because you, you are a man that has done many wrongs in your life, you know He hasn't. You know this is a man that has done nothing wrong, that has done nothing to deserve this death. And you wonder... Why did the crowd choose me? Everyone knows that I'm guilty of these crimes. Why did they choose me to go free? And why did they choose to punish an innocent man? So they release you. And while they've released you and you've escaped the punishment, they take this innocent man and they give him the scourging that you were supposed to receive. You are free. But you struggle to reconcile in your spirit that a righteous and innocent man is going to die in your place. You realize that Jesus 
is a substitute for you. Had you died, had you received the sentence promised you, had you received the sentence that you had deserved, He would have gone free. But since you were going free, He must die. And so he takes the beating. He takes the stripes that you deserve. And you know that he is going to hang on that cross reserved for you. And you know that he is going to die in agony and suffering. And you think back to those times sitting at your mother's feet as she read Scripture to you hoping that you would choose a different path than you've chosen in your life. And all of a sudden, the words the prophet of old have a brand new meaning for you. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. And all of a sudden those words become a a lot more personal for you. As you think, surely He has borne my griefs and carried my sorrows. Yet I esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But He was pierced for my transgressions. He was crushed for my iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought me peace. And with his wounds I am healed. Like sheep I have gone astray. I have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him my iniquity. And as you think of those words you realize. There's no merit on your part in all of this. You weren't released because you deserved it. This wasn't a parole for good behavior. You were not released because of any good works on your part, because of any righteousness you have done. But yet you still were released. And the amazing thing in all of this is because this man is going to his death. And because you have been released, the law will never touch you again for your crimes. The same Roman authorities who have condemned you to death have a maxim that no person shall be put twice in jeopardy. And so you know when Jesus dies that you will go free forever. That you will never come under condemnation to those Roman authorities again. You, Barabbas, You are free. I don't know if you've picked up on this yet or not. The title of our sermon this morning is I am Barabbas. Because you see that scourging that Jesus took. Barabbas deserved it. So do we.
the death that Jesus took on the cross. Barabbas deserved it. And so do we. The pain, the agony, the suffering, the shame that Jesus Christ endured, all of that was reserved for Barabbas and he deserved every last bit of it. And so do we. And yet Jesus Christ took that scourging, he took that beating, he took the shame, the agony, the suffering, and the pain of the cross. And Barabbas got to walk away. He who knew no sin became sin. He took that pain and that suffering on. He suffered death so that you and I could live. That's what Paul writes about in Ephesians chapter 2. He says there, And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, notice this, by grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of work so that one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand. That we should walk in them. See just like Barabbas. We stood dead in our sins. And the pain and the suffering the agony of the cross. Were all done to save us from that penalty. Under the Old Testament, under the Old Law, on the Day of the Atonement, the priest would take two goats. He would sacrifice one goat. And they would take another goat and go free. One goat would die, and the other became the literal scapegoat that was to be led out of the wilderness and released, never to be seen again. In the cleansing of leprosy, two birds were used. According to Leviticus chapter 14, there was a turtle dove or a pigeon that would be sacrificed. And then the other bird would be dipped in the blood of that sacrificed bird. And then the live bird was allowed to go free into the open. In both instances, in both cases, there was a death and there was a removal of an animal that would go free. One died for sin, and the other was let go to remove the sins from the people. Now as Barabbas sat there in his prison cell, there were some things that Barabbas knew. Barabbas knew that he stood condemned. Barabbas knew that the individual taking his place was innocent. He knew that Jesus was a true substitute. 
Barabbas knew that he had done absolutely nothing to merit or to deserve going free. And he knew that the death of Jesus, that death would allow him to go free forever. Peter mentioned this there in that great sermon we have on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. So he's preaching there to those Jews just a few weeks after the crucifixion of Jesus. He says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. In Acts chapter 3, Peter would say, The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. You see, Jesus didn't just take the place of Barabbas. Jesus took your place and he took mine. Jesus died for you and Jesus died for me. And that, my friends, is the greatest news that anyone could ever tell. Is that Jesus Christ died so that we could live. But just like Barabbas, there are a few things that we know as well without Jesus we stand condemned we know that Jesus the one who took our place that he was innocent we know that Jesus is a true substitute we know that because of the sacrifice of Jesus we get to go free but we have done absolutely nothing to merit or deserve that and just like Barabbas, we know that the death of Jesus means that we go free forever. So we have recorded for us in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 45, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give His life a ransom for many. Paul writes to his son in the Gospel, Timothy, 1 Timothy 1, verse 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I, this is Paul writing, he said, but I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example of those who are to believe in him for eternal life. Paul's writing there said it's absolutely, it's 100% true. Jesus the Christ came into this world to save sinners. And I'm the worst sinner there is. And you know what? If Jesus Christ can save me, he can save everybody that's going to believe in him for eternal life. You see, here's, here's the facts that matter very clearly. Jesus Christ died so that we could live. But it is not until we realize the terrible state of our existence, the terrible state of condemnation and death that we deserve. It is not until we realize the pain and the suffering we deserve with no way out on our own. No way out but through Jesus. 
that we can understand the magnitude of His sacrifice and that we can find salvation. Now, I don't care what you read about in the newspapers, you hear on the radio, I don't care what anybody else is going to tell you. There's no other way. There's no other way to escape that condemnation and death. There's no other way to go to heaven. I don't care what anybody else is going to tell you. There's not many paths in one destination. There's one way. Jesus Christ made that clear. He said, I am not a way. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And it is only when we submit our lives to Jesus Christ that we escape that terrible penalty of death. And we can have that wonderful reward of eternal life. If there were any other way to accomplish that, then the death of Jesus was a waste. If we can find any path to heaven other than through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, then Jesus died in vain. If we are saved at all, if we're going to be saved at all, it is only through that shed blood of Jesus Christ. And the big question in all of this, the question I think we always have to ask ourselves, is so what? Why does this matter to me? What does any of this mean to me? I want you to Envision this afternoon, you decide for whatever reason, instead of driving over to Brooks, you're going to walk over there to get you a couple groceries this afternoon. And as you're bebopping across her street, here comes a truck whizzing down the highway. Someone sees you're about to get hit by this truck. And they come, they push you out of the way. They save your life. Could you ever repay that person? Could you ever find enough people to tell of that wonderful deed that that person had done for you? The great deliverance they had given you. The way they had saved your life. That same individual comes to you months later and says, Hey, I, I need you to do something for me. What would your response be? Now I'm kind of busy right now. I don't think I can help you out. No, I've got a lot going on right now. It's just not a good time. No, I've got family in town visiting this weekend. I just can't make it happen right now. But maybe next week you can catch me. Or would we stop at nothing to repay that debt? Would we look at that individual that had saved our life and say, absolutely anything, tell me what you need me to do and I'll do it. No questions asked, no problem. I would love to. There's nothing you could ask that would be too great for you saving my life. So it is the case with Jesus. Jesus saved our life. Jesus saved our soul. Is there anything He can ask of us that's too great? Is there anything He could possibly want us to do that is too much for Him to ask of us? When he says, I want you to die yourself, I want you to take up your cross, I want you to come and follow me. Is that a reasonable ask for someone that gave his life so that we could live? When he says, I want you to deny your father, deny your mother, deny your brother, deny your family, I want you to give up everything, I want you to follow me. 
I want to be the number one priority in all of your life. Is that too much for him to ask? Is that too much for a man to ask that took our beating? That took our shame? That took our humiliation? That took our suffering? What is our response going to be to Jesus? Yes, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. Yes, Lord, I'll do whatever you want. Or is it now? Now's just not a good time. It's just not convenient right now. It's just not handy right now. The only, the only sufficient response, the only adequate response, the only acceptable response is yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I'll do what you want me to do. Yes, Lord, I'll go where you want me to go. Yes, Lord, my life is yours. Can you say that this morning? Can you truthfully say, yes, Lord, my life is yours. It is devoted to you. If not, whether you won't admit it or not, you know deep down inside that that needs to change. I beg you to change that this morning. The response to the will, to the call of Jesus is not, yes, Lord, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do where you want me to do. Then you need to fix that this morning. Because that means you're not faithfully serving Jesus. Here's the reality of all of this. I can be a half-hearted Houston Texans fan, and I am. I can be a half-hearted Texas Rangers fan, and that's probably an overstatement even. I can be half-hearted maybe about doing my job. I can be half-hearted about many things in my life. It is impossible to be half-hearted about Jesus. There's no possible way to be half-hearted. I'm either all in, fully committed, fully devoted to serving Him, Or no matter what I tell myself, no matter what I try to say to myself to ease my guilt and ease my conscience, I'm not serving Him. He either has a hold on me and He is the priority in my life, or I'm just giving lip service, I'm just putting on an act. There's no middle ground in serving Jesus. You're either all in, or you're not serving Him at all. Maybe you're here this morning and you need to renew that commitment to serving Jesus, to giving Him your all, to giving Him everything you've got. Maybe you want to take that step and begin to make that walk serving Jesus. I'm pretty sure there's water back here. If there's not, we'll find some somewhere. And we will baptize you into Christ right now. And you can start that journey. Maybe. Maybe there's just you just have a heavy heart. Your soul is weighed down by grief and sorrow and pain and suffering. And you want us to pray with you and pray for you this morning. We can do that too. Whatever needs there are in your life, whatever changes you have, you might want to make this morning. It's your opportunity to do that as we stand and as we sing.